and welcome to another American Road Trip Talk, where we introduce you to the people and places behind the articles in American Road Magazine. I'm your host, Foster Brown. Our summer 2013 issue of American Road Magazine is focused around neon sights that keep the night bright. In this podcast, we meet Dave Hudson, the man who brings the warmth of yesterday back to those glowing gas sentinels that once beckoned us to spend the night or enjoy some homemade comfort food along the American highway. Dave is the owner of Neon Time, a company that specializes in restoring neon signs in suburban St. Louis, Missouri. He is also part of the Neon Heritage Preservation Committee that was formed by the Missouri Route 66 Association in 2008 to save endangered historic neon signs along the Mother Road. In this first of two conversations, Dave shares the challenges of putting the glow back in a motel's marquee and restoring the allure of an historic St. Louis donut shop. Listen closely, and you'll learn the art of creating that special neon glow. This podcast is brought to you by Springfield, Illinois, where history comes alive every day. It's interactive time travel fun for the entire family. For more about great getaway packages, call 800-545-7300 or go to visitspringfieldillinois.com. Illinois, mile after magnificent mile. Our uh, recent summer 2013 issue of American Road Magazine focused on the neon sights that keep the night bright. And we have talked in some podcasts recently with Jim Tolick, who is the chairman of the Neon Heritage Preservation Committee, which is part of the Missouri Route 66 Association. Well, one of the other members of that committee is Dave Hudson, who is with me right now. And Dave is the president of Neon Time, which is a company that specializes in restoring those signs. Dave, thanks so much for being with us on American Road Trip Talk. Well, thank you. How did you get into the business of restoring neon signs? To make a long story short, I was, like so many people, seduced by uh, the glow of neon when I was just a kid. <laughs> I was sitting in a car outside of a liquor store uh, that my dad had parked me <laughs> to, and he was, a, he was a graphic artist, and he had parked in front of the liquor store and run inside, and I, I remember sitting there specifically, I can remember this moment, I don't know why it stuck with me, except it was, I guess, the seminal moment in this career that uh, I took a look at those, what were then beer signs, neon signs hanging in the window, and I thought, my God. Somebody had to make that all by hand, and I thought about every store, every place that had those in the window and how how much had to go into each one of those signs, and it kind of fascinated me, uh, the handcraft of it, and uh, that on top of the type of light that it produced and sort of oh, yeah. the night nightscape is what uh, lured me. I think that was it right there. How, how many years ago was that, that, that that fascination began? Oh, my gosh. That must have been about 31 or 32 years ago. Yeah, a, few, a, <laughs> a few decades back. Now, how, you, yeah. how, how long have you had your own company? I've had the company that I have now for 15 years. Okay. Did you uh, start out at restoring the neon signs, or were you uh, yes. creating? Okay. Yeah. So, Actually, specifically, I did because, and that's a little bit of an unusual path into this business, but that fascination that I guess was born that day in front of the liquor store turned into collecting as a kid, and um, I had the kind of father that uh, liked to get his hands dirty and take <laughs> interest in what I I took interest in, and we spent our weekends uh, rummaging through uh, 
junk piles and uh, coming up with these vintage signs that have been discarded. Well, I had such a quantity of them that I knew one day that I wouldn't really be able to do anything with them probably in an affordable way unless I could do it myself. Ah, I see. Now, the way you're talking about collecting, you're talking about collecting, I can imagine, large and small signs, signs of all sizes, right? Yeah, I really became fascinated by um, <clears throat> the nostalgia and the vintage signs, uh, neon from its heyday, anywhere from the 30s through the 50s, uh, specific. You know, I got away from the beer signs pretty quickly <laughs> and got into the uh, got into the vintage signs. It was much more of a uh, thrill of the hunt to find a, ah. uh, a really old sign like that. And that turned into also starting to remove larger signs from buildings where businesses were no longer in business. And oh, so I see. I amassed a collection of these, these uh, you know, larger signs as well. So, Dave, you were not only restoring, you were also rescuing. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. Wow. And so, you know, having a, a collection of orphan signs, I thought, well, uh, who can afford to uh, restore all these unless you can do it yourself? Sure. So I had a, a whole other career that uh, involved a lot of travel. One day I was working with the, um, well, one week I was working with the uh, San Francisco Symphony, and um, I knew of a neon artist in the North Bay area that uh, also <clears throat> funded his endeavors by having a quote-unquote neon school. So I hopped in a rental car, drove north, and uh, visited with him, and a few months later, I was uh, holed up in uh, the North Bay area taking uh, neon lessons. Now, I had been practicing <laughs> on my own at home, but I knew that I could never, with a good conscience, take anybody's money for that neon <laughs> unless I unless I got my skills over over the you know threshold. And so that's what I went and study. His name was Leroy Champagne, um, and he ran a good outfit there. Wow. Uh, and I uh, studied with him for quite a while and um, and then opened my own business. Well, Dave, what is, what is the art of uh, working with neon signs? What are some of the things that you had to learn in order to be able to restore them, but also, uh, you know, to really get into the, the crafting of the neon signs? Well, with the neon... Um, you know, there's a certain there's a certain amount of it that is monkey see, monkey do, and that is the the electrical side. And you have to have a you learn a respect quickly for high voltage. Um, so because neon neon operates on high voltage, so much of our residential lighting and things like that are converted to low voltage, whereas neon is a, a high vol a result of uh, high voltage. Now that you can learn from a book or from apprenticing with someone else mm -hmm. the the craft of neon itself really is being a, a glass craftsman and that is learning to handle glass when it's in the plastic state uh when it's heated so that's where the craft the ah. craftsmanship the craftsmanship comes in and uh that's that's what i studied in california was um i, I knew how to rewire a sign i i became familiar over many many years taking signs down and and working with them, all the different hardware components. I can even tell you what year a sign was made by looking at the screws that are used wow. on the sign. That is so, amazing. But, well, within a range, let's be yeah. reasonable. Right, but right. but um, 
the real craft in me on his handle is being able to handle the glass when it's mm-hmm. in a plastic state, and I guess that's that's the reason so, there's fewer fewer what, neon when you say, craftsmen out there. Yeah, when you say plastic state, yeah, you're talking, of course, just to translate a little bit. They can bend them into the shapes that you want, whether it's a letter or right, a figure of something. Right. I mean, you know, the glass tubes come in a, you know usually four foot length, and um, they mm-hmm. have to be heated and. We call it tube bending. It's not. Uh, some people say glass blowing. That's not quite accurate. Uh, a neon craftsman is known as a tube bender because they're taking glass tubes and right. heating them to about I don't you know probably a thousand to twelve hundred degrees and um, and then uh, bending them to conform to the, the wow. pattern or whatever it is this, you're, this you're working from. This isn't a craft for the faint of heart, is it? <laughs> no, no. no. No, it involves uh, high voltage burns and, and uh, cuts. high voltage and high temperatures. <laughs> My goodness! Now, yeah. in, in addition to the glass work, there is uh, and the electrical component. There is also then the gas component. Talk a little bit about that to give us some of the background on uh, what goes into the gases that are used and maybe some of the colors that are produced. Sure. Well, the colors that the neon produces, the neon, the light that neon gives off is very fascinating because it harkens. It's something that actually that craft hasn't changed for over a hundred years since it was essentially invented around 1900 in France. But what gives off the light once the tube is sealed, purified, and then electrified is, is technically plasma physics, and that is the uh, ionization of the inert gas. So the gases that we use, you know, there's just a handful of what we call the noble or inert gases mm-hmm. in the periodic table, things like helium, xenon, krypton, are not used commercially because they take too much power to produce uh-huh. light. But neon and argon are very viable. Uh, they can be, they illuminate with a reasonable amount of power. Um, and uh, in a clear tube, neon gas uh, is glows the familiar red-orange. Argon with it, we introduce just a little droplet of mercury to add brilliance when the mercury vaporizes, but that lights up a soft blue. Now, ah. those are your two basic colors, and right. at the beginning, right. the beginning days of neon, that's all there was, clear glass, either red or blue. Mm. So if you're talking about signs from the 1920s, when they first came to the United States, you either had red or blue. Now... Just after that, they started introducing a phosphor coating. When you see a fluorescent tube used in right. your home or office, it's white. Right, exactly. And that, mm-hmm. that white is a powder coating on the inside of the tube that it's phosphorus. And when they're, when they're excited electrically, they give off white light. Ah. So neon is neon's the same thing, uh, just a smaller diameter tube. And the phosphors, when excited by the gas that's ionized inside, actually glow. Uh, and can give off, you know, a wide, wide range of color. It could be turquoise, it could be pink, it could be blue, oh, purple, wow. yellow. That's how we achieve all those other colors. I there's see. One other way, there's one other way, and that's with actual colored glass, what we now oh, call okay. cla- classic glass. But it's a little, you know, it's become a little fewer and far between because it's, it's costly. The Mother Road is calling the world to Joplin, Missouri. Get the family calendar and make plans for the Route 66 International Festival this August in downtown Joplin, Missouri. 
The three-day international festival will be a celebration of the heritage of historical Route 66. The gathering will feature cultural performances, car show, Route 66 quilt exhibit, crafts, and food vendors. Authors, artists, and collectors of everything Route 66 will gather to share their passion for the history and preservation of the famed highway. The Route 66 International Festival will be held August 1st to the 3rd, 2013 in Joplin, Missouri. For more information, visit www.route66internationalfestival.com. Thanks for listening to our podcast and subscribe to our regular podcast interviews through iTunes or your favorite podcast application. Visit us at AmericanRoadMagazine.com for more information about the magazine, trip itineraries, suggestions, fun contests, and a whole lot more. Until we meet again on the American Road, this is Foster Brown reminding you that the joy is in the journey.